Hey everybody, thank you so much for listening to another episode of They Call Me Coach. You can now like our They Call Me Coach Facebook page or subscribe and follow the show on Apple Podcast or Spotify Podcast. Please share, like, and give us a positive review if you're enjoying the content. And now, here's your episode. On this episode, our guest is Fort Gibson Lady Tigers head basketball coach, Scott Lowe. Coach Lowe walks us through his battle with cancer and everything that has gone on to overcome that. Coach Lowe is one of the most successful coaches in the state, but find out who the man is behind the title, Coach. And here's our episode. And now we'll bring in our guest, head coach of the Fort Gibson Lady Tigers, Scott Lowe. How are you, Coach? Doing great, Luke. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to uh, join us on They Call Me Coach podcast. How was Absolutely. Oh, man, it was good. You know, it was one of those days, you know, that we kind of dread sometimes. I was not looking forward to doing lunch lunch duty outside today. Uh, 105 degree weather. That wasn't too fun. But other than that, it wasn't bad. So here at Bing, we have uh, we have three campuses, uh, two campuses that are elementaries that go kindergarten through third grade, and then they feed into being elementary starting in the fourth grade. And so I actually teach in the junior high for the first three hours. And then uh, and then I go over to one of our sub sites for the elementary and do uh, a block of PE for just about 45 minutes. And so I actually yeah. I actually miss uh, all the lunch duties. And so to make up for that, I have morning duty four days a week. So uh, oh, I, I'll, I think week. I'll go ahead. Every week, every week, Monday through Thursday, I've got. I've got morning duty from, but it's only 10 minutes. So it, it, it's better than sending out in the hot heat. So I, I'll take that yeah. any day. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because I, I'm embarrassed to say this, but I, you know, the first three hours for me in the morning are spent in a swimming pool. So um, we bring our elementary over to our pool at Fort Gibson and it's an indoor pool and it's, the water is absolutely ice cold, but I will, I will take the school bus to go pick them up and then bring them over to the pool and then i'm in the pool with the usually i work with the kids who have trouble swimming or they're trying to learn how to swim and so uh that's my job in the mornings and then after that then the duty comes after that i gotcha so are you a licensed lifeguard actually you know i'm not licensed our our swim coach is in the pool as well um i'm more more or less just a helper you know i got uh for her I got you. Well, coach, uh, man, that's, that's interesting to hear how some of our schedules are, are, you know, I think it's rare for a school to have an indoor pool like Fort Gibson and it just speaks to the school that you guys have there. Um, and then for, for me to be involved with elementary PE on a, on a different site, that's also rare, I think too. So especially for, we're both in class 4A, that's kind of unusual. So, um, Coach, we know each other on a on a professional level a little bit, uh, and I'll go I'll dive deeper into that later. But just kind of tell me a little bit about yourself. Uh, I know you're married. Uh, do you guys have kids together? And and just kind of tell me a little bit about your family dynamic. Oh yeah, sure. Um, I'm married to my wife Melissa. Um, we have five kids, and we did we Melissa and I met each other later in life and uh, our family is blended. I had two boys of my own. Uh, she had two boys and a, and a girl. And so all of them now, after last year, all of them are out of the house. So we're kind of empty nesters. And 
navigating our way through all that right now. It seems a little odd not to be, you know, going to ball games, chasing kids around. And, uh, you know, we commented this weekend, you know, we, a lot of times we'll look at each other and just say, you know, I'm bored, you know, which we, we kind of clamored for a long time to, to have that peace around the house. And now, you know, they're all out of the house and they're, they're busy doing their own things, which it's all, that's exciting. Um, but by the same token, you know, it gets a little boring around the house at times. So now there's just honeydews for me to do. And I'm not, I'm not too keen on that, but, uh, but yeah, um, been, been married now to Melissa for, let's see, be 10 years now. Um, and our kids went to school at Central Salisaw, which I live in Salisaw. And so Salisaw is about an hour away from Fort Gibson. Um, so that's a little bit different. Um, I taught at Central Salisaw for, for nine years. And so my kids had been in that school system all the way up. When we got married, her kids came over and attended Central as well. So, um, yeah, but, you know, having them, uh, some of them participated in organized sports some of them didn't and uh, but like I said they're just all out doing their own thing and we're thankful that they all turned out pretty responsible I think and they're all going to have I think good careers and good lives ahead of them so we're happy about that well I've I've been told I I just have a two-year-old little boy and I've been told that sometimes having adult children is scarier than having uh you know children in your home so uh I'm sure that you can speak to that yeah, I can stop you right there because, you know, I can definitely attest to that. It's anybody and, you know, the people that listen to this will definitely relate as well. If they've had adults or, you know, children that are older, you know, whatever, you know, I think as parents, you try to do the best that you can. Um, and then you got to cross your fingers and hope for the best in some cases, you know, and, you know, and we had good kids, but there was still hiccups along the way. They still good, even good kids don't always make good decisions. And so, you know, parenting is not for the faint of heart. And, um, but you know, I mean, I don't regret anything at all. It all turned out okay. And the kids have turned out okay. And I think it's just part of growing up. And when I reflect on some of the stupid things that I did growing up, I, you know, um, well, we won't go there. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> well, I'm I'm really glad that my parents don't have a podcast because I think I would be the uh, the main topic, and they could start right there. And I had three other siblings, so I'm sure they they could attest to that as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, most definitely. Well, Coach, uh, the last few years uh, you've you've had a lot of life circumstances kind of uh, that are off the court. Um, that were really scary. And I know you had a lot of people praying for you. And, uh, and so do you kind of want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. You know, it was a strange deal. Um, you know, I'll give you a little ba- bit of background. You know, my, when I was uh, coaching at Adair, my dad had passed away from a, uh, from a massive heart attack. And I've always felt like, you know, I've always, my wife calls me a hypochondriac, but Every time, you know, like I, the first time I had reflux, uh, I thought I was having a heart attack, you know, and uh, I always thought like if anything ever happened to me health wise or if I ever, ever had a health scare, that it would be something with my heart. And uh, so make a long story short. 
Gordon Gibson as an assistant coach? Um, I had been a head coach for 20 years, and then I had the opportunity to come to Fort Gibson and work with Chuck London um, as, as his assistant. And I came on board. We, we worked together for four years, and then after that four years was up, I was asked to, uh, you know, if, if I would be interested in being the head coach. And so, you know, when I wrapped my head around that and finally said, yes, I'll do that, the summer, that summer that I took on that new role, um, I found out that I had head and neck cancer. And uh, I was getting up one morning to uh, actually go watch one of my slow pitch all-staters at the all-state game and i was putting on some shaving cream and i felt a lump on my neck uh or just below my jawline that was not there two days prior to that so immediately i was concerned i knew that wasn't normal and so i did what any normal person would do i got on google and started googling stuff and you know how that goes it scares you to death everything's worst case scenario after that so went to the went to the doctor um lied to the doctor told him that the lump had been there for a month um i knew that if i told him that i just found the lump he would say you know that i needed to wait and then come back and see him a little bit later but i was concerned and so i wanted something done and so went through an ultrasound first then they did a ct scan of it they came back and they said, well, you know, we're not sure. We still don't think it's anything, but let's go ahead and stick a needle in it and do a biopsy. And sure enough, and it was funny, uh, the, one of the, the, the surgeon that did the biopsy, um, I actually coached him when I was doing my student teaching at Salisaw. And so, you know, he told me, he said, I don't think this is going to be anything at all, but we'll get it checked out. And you'll have peace of mind. And sure enough, it came back and I, I actually got the email um before he called me before he had a chance to call now with the medical charts the way they are you can see the results before they even contact you and i opened up the email and one of the first words that i saw was malignant and uh kind of took my breath away a little bit and uh then i i immediately prayed that was the first thing that i did because i got scared right off the bat and then i prayed and i prayed for comfort and peace of mind and and you know whatever God's will is, let's let's get on with it. Let's go. And so, uh, started the process there. Just, you know, got with an oncologist. They could not find where the cancer was coming from. They knew it was in my that that one lymph node, but they didn't know where it was coming from. They did a PET scan, and I had to go to the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, to to get it figured out. And uh, when I went up there, I got treated and uh, did my treatments up there, did the chemo and the radiation up there. And and uh, I did not make it back to Fort Gibson for a game until after Christmas break that first year. Um, so, um, but, you know, everything was successful. They got all of it out. And, you know, I've had my scans, uh, had my yearly scan at Christmas of this last season and everything came back good and I'll go back next Christmas and you know, that hopefully that'll be my Christmas present every year is that they'll tell me that I'm cancer free. So kind of a kind of a strange path. But, uh, you know, kind of uh, I don't know, just surreal, really, because, you know, you nobody you don't ever think it's going to happen. And you go through all that. And 
actually, believe it or not, some good things come out of it. And, um, I'm, I'm living proof of that. So, uh, but anyway, great support system at Fort Gibson. They were unbelievable. Jerry Walker, who is my assistant and everybody, if you've coached girls basketball in Oklahoma, you know that Jerry Walker is a, uh, he's a living legend. And, uh, Jerry was, uh, took over in my absence and we never really skipped a beat. And so got back and we were fortunate enough to go to the state tournament that first year. And was just glad that that was all able to pan out and happen the way that it did. But yeah, um, kind of a strange deal, but man, just so many blessings come out of it and had it, like you said, a ton of people praying for me. The coaching community was, um, gosh, man. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Um, sometimes as a coach, you, you're, it's, it's kind of lonely sometimes you, you don't feel there's not very many people that you can talk to because you never know what somebody's motive is. Um, but when you talk to other coaches, you know, we walk in each other's shoes every day. And so um, the support that I had from the coaching community was just so uplifting. And, you know, you were one of those. You were one of those guys that texted me, and I had a bunch of them um, when I was in the hospital. Um, and I was doing those. I was doing two radiation treatments a day, and uh, I couldn't talk. My mouth was on fire. My throat was burning like crazy. And to get those messages, it kind of kept me going and kept me in a positive frame of mind. So, yeah, so uh, when you go back every Christmas, will you have to go back to Minnesota to the to the Mayo Clinic, or, or how does that play you out? Know, do you do it locally? You know, Luke, I don't have to, but after the experience that I had, I, uh, I prefer to go up there, and uh, just for my peace of mind, um, I, it was a strange deal because when, it, when this all came about, I had told my wife, I said, you know, if things get messed up and maybe there's some things, some unforeseen things or, you know, down the road or what have you, you know, I'm not going to be local. I'm going, I'm going to go to the Mayo Clinic. And it was just weird that it worked out that way because they could not find that primary tumor. And so their only course of action locally was to take the lymph node out and remove the lymph node. And, you know, my wife and I kind of looked at each other and thought, well, that's, that's no good if you don't know if we're not going to look at the pathway that it came from because we know we knew it metastasized. So, yeah. So when I went up there, it's just a different world. And, you know, I'm sure it's the same at a place like maybe MD Anderson or, you know, somewhere where it's a tertiary care center where, where you're getting an extremely high level of treatment. But I tell people all the time now, if they're sick, man, just don't hesitate. Go, go to the top, go to the best. And Mayo was just incredible. And so I've just chose that to fly back there every Christmas and, and, uh, or every Christmas break rather, and get that done. Um, while I've got a break and, and, uh, it just, it makes me feel a lot, a lot better, um, than, you know, maybe taking a chance locally. So, yeah, well, I'm I'm so glad to hear that that these prayers have been answered and that you're that you've had a clean bill of health and and just uh, I, I talked to somebody the other day here uh, at the school that I work at and and uh, I just said that being a head coach, being a coach in general, is lonely. Um, and so the best yeah. way to to the best way to make it obviously is first 
where your relationship is uh, with Christ or, or, you know, whatever you can uh, do outside of basketball to kind of keep your mental health straight. And the second is um, obviously your, your family. And then third is finding a group of people that you can confide in that are going to um, allow you to talk openly, because that's one thing that, that I know about, about just being a head coach, the short amount of time that I have is, you can't talk openly to very many people uh, and, and that includes your peers at the school you work at and, and other coaches. Cause yep. you just never know um, what their motive may be. So uh, no, I'm, I'm, no, I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah, that's, that's correct. You know, and it's, it's kind of cool that you figured that out so early on because you're still, you know, you're a young guy and um, I think it's, it's, it's funny, you know, when we start in this profession, um, it's really all about the coaching, you know, and, uh, or it was for me, you know, I started coaching because it was an extension of playing. It was the closest thing that I could do to actually physically play. And, uh, but it doesn't take you very long to figure out that it's really about, it's a lot about the other stuff. You know, the coaching aspect of it is very easy but you're trying to manage all these personalities and and then you've got different people parents uh in particular with motives um and and look and by and large you know parents are great you know i mean i I certainly have no complaints but you know we've all i think we've all been in those situations where like you said we had to be guarded a little bit and i think you have to you know and for me as well you know i put my faith in christ and and uh, that's who I talk to, you know, um, because in terms of basketball, you know, there's just not very many people that you can talk to um, that are that are too close to you, that you have access to. So um, I don't know. For me, it's all about um, balance. And that is a very, very hard thing to achieve in what you and I have chosen to do. For sure. Um, so I, I kind of use that to segue uh, to something else I wanted to talk about. So you talked about your faith in Christ. You talked about, you know, um, you notice all the things that get you through and, and, and how you uh, approach life. What's something that if you, you know, uh, like OU is getting ready to honor Barry Switzer for being on campus for the last 50 years or around campus the last 50 years. If some, if somebody were to do that for you, just a hypothetical, what is something that you wish your, your players would, would say about you or, or what is something that you want your players uh, to know about you or, or speak fondly of you, I should say. I think the, the first thing is that you you know, you want them to understand how much you care about them as a person. And I, you know, I, I think my players know that. I think um, it's funny. You know, I had a kid. I Oh, this has probably been five years ago. And that I had coached uh, maybe 17 years prior. No, not that long. 15 years prior. When I first started coaching. And her and I, we, we, we kind of had a little bit of a combative relationship, you know, coach and player. And she was a kid that had a lot of talent and uh, very high strung. We really didn't see eye to eye on too many things. It didn't feel like I could ever uh, 
get her on the same page, get her on the page that I wanted her on and so forth. And, and to be honest with you, when she graduated, you know, and if somebody had asked me in five years, you know, about her, I, I would probably would have said, you know, she doesn't like me very much. And, but I got a text from that. Well, she's a young woman now and with kids and so forth. And the, the first text that she sent me said something along the lines of, you know, much, but I could sure do some advice right now. And I, that just, it completely took me off guard. I could not believe she was reaching out to me for any life advice. And she was going in her life. And so I picked up the phone and called her. I think we talked on the phone for three hours. And, you know, things started to get better. We talked a little bit more and a little bit more. And um, hopefully I said some things that helped that helped her and encouraged her. But for her to do that, it just, it kind of, it kind of validates, you know, what we're really there for and, you know, why we're there. And that's because, you know, we're just trying to make each other better. Um, for me, that's my biggest thing is I, I want my players to understand that, you know, you can't, you can't get to any great height in life. Well, your relationship, uh, sports, with your team, whatever, you can't reach that high without other people. And that's my thing. You know, I want them to know that I'm in their corner and I want the same things they want. Sometimes we disagree about how to get there, but in the end, it's all about, um, you know, just trying to lift those kids up and, and get them to understand that they're capable of more than they think they are. good stuff so whenever you whenever you have a new team each year uh because if anybody's seen the fort gibson lady tigers play uh and and forgive me that's the only place that i've seen you coach at um since i've been in this profession i know you haven't been there long compared to other stops but how are you able to uh one build trust it sounds like that even though you and that player didn't see eye to eye a whole lot of times it sounds like you're somebody that she she built trust with, um, even if it happened later in life. Uh, how are you able to put your imprint on a team each year to build relationships with, with a new group of kids each year? Um, I know for me, there's been teams that I've really jived with. Those have been some of my more uh, enjoyable teams. And then there have been some teams where it was a struggle each day to, uh, you know, to – not necessarily that I, that they didn't like me or I didn't like them because that's not at all. I'm an adult. I'm gonna I'm gonna like and and uh, sure. and, and work hard with anybody. But there's you know there's just certain relationships that come more natural to others uh, than than others I should say. So how are you able to build that trust? One and then two. The second part is uh, how are you able to kind of put your imprint on each team? Well, you know I think you have to. You, everything that you do has to be intentional. Now, when I, when I say that, you still have to be authentic. I mean, I'm a, I'm a big believer in being who you are. Yeah, I don't, I'm not going to go try to even, you know, I, for instance, I coach with Jerry Walker, who, like I said, is, he is one of the most unbelievable human beings that I've ever been around in my life. And 
and he's impacted me in an unbelievable way. Chuck London, who I worked with before, same way. They're just men of character and somebody that's just, they're, they're unbelievable. But if I, if I try to be Jerry Walker, then I'm not, I'm not me. And so I think the, the first thing that you do to build trust is that you have to be who you are. You have to build, you have to be authentic. Um, but then you have to be intentional about trying to build a relationship. And that has to, you know, I, I think maybe, you know, there's some things that you can do um, in terms of, you know, individual relationships, uh, you know, maybe finding out what a kid likes, you know, what other sports do they play or, you know, so you're trying to find some common ground more or less, you know, uh, but it's not just all the kid has to understand that it's truly not about, hey, he's just trying to, you know, get me to set better screens or, you know, walk out better, you know, that it, there has to be some authenticity there. And that, that truly has to be what your focus is um, day in and day out. And you have to be consistent with it because if you're not, I don't think that you ever build trust, especially, you know, for us, we coach girls basketball. And I, I've always said, you know, it's trust is a, such a huge thing with coaching girls. Um, I've always compared dogs and cats to girls and boys, you know, and I've coached boys before you could kick a dog. And the next day that dog's going to come back and wag its tail and it's going to want to be petted. If you do that to a cat, not coming anywhere near you for a long time girls um and so i think that you know trust is probably the most important thing when you talk about a player coach relationship and then furthermore if you talk about teams um i think uh it's probably the most important factor and um if you're going to really really improve because down the road you're going to you're going to be asking those kids to do some things that they're very uncomfortable doing and you know, to, to get better, they have to go through those uncomfortable things to be tough, to be, to get the mental toughness that you want. They have to go through those uncomfortable situations and they're only going to go through those situations if they trust you and they trust what you're telling them. And more importantly, if they trust, you know, just basically who you are. And so you have to do what you say and say what you mean. And so that's kind of my approach. It always has been. Uh, you know, we've always had pretty good results. I would say so. You've been quite one of the, you know, one of the winningest coaches um, around for quite a while, uh, which just gets my mind wondering, you know, you have so much success. Uh, you talked about being at Adair and then Central Salisaw. Uh, what made you want to take the uh, take the move or make the move over to Fort Gibson to be an assistant? Well, funny story, you know, and, and Luke, I can't remember if I told you this and, you know, just private or not, because you and I do talk every now and then. And it, I was I was actually coaching um, at Roland. I had coached at Central Salisaw to, through 2013. I had take the, taken the Roland girls job, which is nearby. Um, I just I went through a divorce when I was at Central Salisaw. And, I, you know, I, like like some people, I, you know, I was kind of doing a little soul searching and and so forth and I just felt like I needed a fresh move and and Roland was far it was close enough to where my kids could still attend central schools they were old enough to drive um old enough you know we transportation wasn't really an issue and so I took the job at Roland and um funny thing you know that 
I think I'd been there for four years and uh, I was up late with my wife one night and we, she was watching TV to wind down and I was on my phone and, and I had Twitter opened up and I saw a, a tweet from Bill Huddleston, who is, who uh, runs Vibe, uh, Vibe magazine. And the tweet had said, Jerry Walker resigns from Fort Gibson Lady Tigers basketball. And I just, I was taken aback. I, I could not believe it. And, you know, after I got over the shock of it, I told my wife, I said, well, gosh, you know, I feel sorry for the next guy that has to go in there. And so, because, I mean, you know, trying to fill the issues is going to be unbelievable, not just from a basketball perspective, but if people don't know Jerry Walker, he is from Fort Gibson. I call Jerry Fort Gibson's favorite son. Um, he is beloved in that community. And so, you know, those shoes, shoes were going to be really big. Well, to make a long story short or shorter, I was on the court days later at Benita team camp with my team at Roland. And I looked down and I'm getting a phone call from Daryl Glover, who was the superintendent at Fort Gibson. And I'm thinking to myself, surely no way phone call at this job. And lo and behold, you know, I answer the phone and, and Mr. Glover asked and said, you know, and basically says, why have you not called me about this job? And, you know, this and that. And, and I told him, well, you know, obvious reasons, you know, who wants to go in there and replace Jerry Walker? And nobody wants to go in there and do that. So um, Chuck London, who was Jerry's assistant, had turned the job down initially when he was asked if he wanted the job. And so Gerald was calling me to gauge my interest in the job. And I said, well, I'd be a fool not to be interested in that job. So he says, well, why don't you come to Fort Gibson? We'll sit down and we'll talk. It'll be very informal. And let's see if we can't iron something out. So I show up. I think it was on a Friday. And it I'm not going to say that it was formal necessarily, but there was about seven people in the room. I thought it was just going to be Daryl and myself. It was a little bit more intricate than that. And so, but we sat down, we talked about some things. They asked me some questions. And then when it was over, Daryl looks at me and says, okay, I'm going to call you on Monday and I need you to say yes. And so I'm confronted, you know, and this is for the head coaching job at the time. And so I'm thinking, okay, I'm in, you know, I, this is unbelievable. I cannot believe this is happening, but I'm in. So the weekend happens and I don't know what it was that made me think. I just felt like something was off all weekend and I get a phone call early Monday morning and it's Daryl and he says, listen, something's come up. He said, uh, Coach London, Chuck, he has changed his mind. His family has basically talked him into taking this head coaching job. And we really feel like we owe it to Chuck to allow him to do that. And my response was, absolutely. I completely agree. He's been loyal. He's obviously an unbelievable coach. And, you know, hey, no hard feelings. You know, I'm, I'm very happy at Roland. We've got a good program, and I like the direction it's going in and so forth. And then so he's, before I, he said, listen, he said, before you hang up, would you ever consider working as an assistant coach? Now, keep in mind, I had been a head coach for 20 years. I had never worked as an assistant coach. I was a head coach right out of college. 
And so my immediate reaction was I'm laughing hysterically in my mind thinking, no way, not going to be an assistant coach. And so I think to myself, well, be cordial, be nice, hang up the phone, act like you're thinking about it for a couple of hours and then call back and respectfully decline. So before he can let me hang up, he starts telling me the, the, the teaching schedule that I would have and you know, what all I would be coaching. And the more and more he starts talking, and I guess it's just the salesman that Daryl is, the more and more I am, he's getting me to really start to think about the possibility. And, you know, uh, Chuck's daughters were going through high school at the time. And so there was a feeling that Chuck might not be wanting to go very long with the head coaching job. And, you know, he told me at that time, you know, we, we would possibly turn it over to you um, when the time comes. And so, you know, it was the same summer that Kevin Durant left OKC and went to Golden State. And I thought, you know, if KD can do it, maybe Coach Lowe can do it too. So, um, you know, I, I said, I, my wife was, she was kind of flabbergasted. She couldn't believe that I would do something like that. But, you know, I just told her, I said, I, this is an unbelievable opportunity and I think I'm going to do it. And so made the decision to do it. And long story short, we uh, first year that Chuck and I are together, um, we win a state championship in our first year together. It was an unbelievable, unbelievable kind of whirlwind situation. And then, then I coached the slow pitch softball team three months later to a state championship in the spring. So it just, it was unbelievable. And uh, for people that, I know a lot of people already know this, but Fort Gibson is incredible. Um, the administration, the school, the community, um, the school is basically the hub of the community at Fort Gibson. And so the buy-in that we get from the community is off the charts. And um, it really gives us an advantage over a lot of a lot of other schools, but that's how, that's how it all worked out. And so I'm still there and I'm planning on being there as long as they'll have me. Yeah. So our, our paths crossed a year later. Uh, I end up getting the assistant boys job at Hilldale. And uh, yeah. at that point, no way would I ever coach girls basketball, but I remember watching your teams play and uh, every other game seemed winnable uh, on our on our girls' basketball schedule, even whether it was or not. But there's this aura of Fort Gibson, like oh, that's just there's just no way. Um, and I can't yeah. think of I can't think of another school. Maybe I just don't know my history well enough. Where the torch has been passed and and the drop off not be notice noticeable at all because you go from Coach Walker who. I mean, you've you've done a great job telling about how respected he is in that area, um, and just the kind of man and coach that he is. Um, and I'll speak to that in just a moment. And then you go to Coach London, who uh, just an incredible man. Attended church with him when I lived in the Muskogee area, and just uh, just an amazing uh, man of God, but also an amazing coach. And then you go to you, who's had ton of success and in, in your own right, and and have just continue uh, to carry the, the torch um, and it not waver at all. So I can't think of an, of a school that has had that top level of coaching. There may be schools that have continued to win, 
because of players, but sure, uh, sure. I can't think of I can't think of a better uh, you know trio to follow uh, to follow that. So um, it's, it's been a lot of fun. I, it's you know I get asked that question a lot. You know they'll a lot of people will say I, I, and I have I've heard this comment in the last probably two or three years a whole lot, which is. I would love to sit in y'all's in the coach's office with you three and just hear some of the, you know, the conversations or, you know, what, what have you, but it's unreal to be, to get to coach with those guys. And, and to be honest with you, you know, you, you start talking about all that. It's really the foresight that our former superintendent Daryl Glover had um, because when, when Chuck came from Bristow to join forces with coach Walker uh, I think back in like 2005, 06, right around there, you know, Chuck had been working with Daryl Glover at Bristow and where Daryl was the head coach for years. They had a ton of success, ton of state tournament appearances. And then Daryl leaves to go into administration. So Chuck takes over. Chuck wins a state championship as a head coach at Bristow. So, and then after winning a state championship, he actually goes to Fort Gibson to be Jerry's assistant. So that was also what was in my head when I were, whenever I was trying to make my decision. I thought, you know, Coach London did that. He gave up being a head coach to go work as an assistant. And then so Daryl's vision was he, wa- he wanted more than one head coach. And so just for the people that don't know out there, at Fort Gibson – we don't look at each other like um, head coach, assistant coach. I, we're just coaches, and we're all on the same page. We want what's best for the kids, what's best for the team, and it's stayed that way. You know, I have an assistant now in Wes Whiteley, who is my second assistant, that he was a K-8 coach for years, and his teams won multiple state championships. So – what we really believe in is team and a lot of people talk about it even before I came to Fort Gibson I talked a lot about team well Fort Gibson is actually epitomizes it every single day and they do it with the leadership at the school they do it with their coaches and that's I think that has more to do with the success than uh than everything except the players obviously the players are we've had exceptional players and that's where it starts. But, but from a coaching perspective, man, I just, it's a coaching paradise. I'll just say that. Well, it takes a extreme amount of humility for coach London to do that for you to do that. And then for coach Walker to come back after, I mean, he could have had any job in the state. You could have had any job in the state. I mean, the list goes on and on coach London could have had any job and for you guys to stick it out more than a year, more than two years. um, And just, uh, you know, continue to build the powerhouse uh, that Fort Gibson is that just speaks to the humility and, and the kind of men um, that have been there. So uh, I commend you and, and Coach London and Coach Walker and, and Coach Whiteley, now that you've mentioned him, uh, for that. Um, Thank you. So to kind of speak, speak to Coach Walker's humility, um, I met him uh, at, at your boys' uh, at your boys team camp that we attended when I was an assistant at Hilldale and he was running clock and 
the head coach that I worked under named Scott Hensley, he introduced me to him. Uh, they had had some battles against each other uh, when Scott was doing uh, the girls at Hildell and just, you know, introduced me to him as, you know, kind of the, the godfather uh, of girls basketball. And I, I had never met him and, and, and coach Walker's running clock and it was just kind of uh, shaking over the hands and we just kept on moving. And then we yeah. play you guys. Uh, we play you guys uh, two years ago in the playoffs and yep. we're playing at Shakota and coach Walker walks up to me like we've known each other for years, knew who I was, yeah. knew where I'd worked. Um, don't you think that that's one of the biggest uh, ways that you can start to build that community whenever you're able to remember a peon assistant fresh out of college um, that should mean nothing to you? Don't you think that's how coaches uh, are able to uh, be so well-respected? And, and you're the same way. We've talked – you're giving me way more credit than, than I deserve because we've talked very few times, but uh, – I don't think anybody would know that if, if, if uh, they weren't listening to this. And so um, what, what can you, uh, what, what do you guys do at Fort Gibson that where that's a priority, I should say. Um, You know, that's a great question. I've never really thought about it. Um, You know, I, I, I don't, I don't know if we do anything specific, um, where there's like uh, where we're having to be intentional about it. I just think it, it goes back to who we are. And, and I think it's probably more about our experiences growing up because I know coach Walker had a lot of people in his life that were um, forthcoming with, you know, helping him, um, you yep. know, people that he could lean on for advice and, and so forth. And, you know, maybe some people that actually looked out for him. He had, obviously, you know, Coach Walker had played college basketball. He's Dan Hayes was in his corner, and he's had some just unbelievable role models, uh, coaching wise in his life. And 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 I'm the same way. Um, I think it has it speaks probably more to the people that helped us because they basically showed us how it should be done. Um, you know, I worked with a lot of people in our association, our girls association, that that are the same way uh, you know you're just trying to reach out and you know help grow the game and um and then you see somebody like and you know again not to toot your horn but i mean i've watched you i've watched how detailed you are i've i think you know when you're when you're successful you notice other people doing things that are going to make them successful and i think you pick up on those things um there's always an up and comer around the corner, you know, that you kind of look at and you go, okay, that guy, that guy's got it going on. You know, he's, he's got it together. I remember I, my first job ever was at Fort Towson, Oklahoma, down in Southeastern Oklahoma. And one of the things that I remember more than anything, I, I had coached boys my first year and I never, I never, ever thought that I would ever coach girls basketball. That, if somebody had told me that years prior, I would have been just died of laughter. And after my first year coaching boys at Fort Towson, the girls coach had left, and they asked me to coach both of them, high school boys and high school girls. And so I knew the girls were going to be pretty good. And I thought, 
know, hey, this may give me an opportunity to, to you know, sort of, you know, move up the coaching rung a little bit and so forth. And, uh, you know, and it might be fun. And I coached the girls. And one night I was at Wright City. And I was up in the stands at Wright City. And most people will know this name, especially the older people. Burl Plunkett, who was coaching girls at Valiant at the time. Um, and the former, former Bing guy. Former Bing guy, former head coach at OU, uh, women's basketball. Yep. And uh, Burl walks up to me in the stands and introduces himself. And he says, son, you know, he said, I've been watching you. And he said, I want to tell you, you're doing a great job. And now keep in mind, at the time, we were, I mean, we were scuffling. The boys were, we, you know, we just didn't have a very good record. And I was working my tail off and loving every minute of it. You know how it is when you're young, you just want to be there and you want to coach. And um, he walked up and said those words to me. And then he said, you know, I, I know what you're doing and I'm going to help you. I, I, but I, and I want to help you at the time. You know, he didn't think there was a future at Fort Towson. And he said, I want to help you get out of there, you know, and I want to help you move on. And that's not an indictment to Fort Towson because, my gosh, I had so many good relationships there. But uh, he so in essence, he basically took me under his wing a little bit. And he had coached a young lady at Adair by the name of Karen Stites, coached her at OU. He knew some of the administration there. And then next thing I know, he's making phone calls and I'm going to get to an interview at um, Adair High School about their girls basketball job. And I end up getting it. And that's kind of just how things worked out. But so when you ask that question, I think it's that has more to do with the people that that helped us. And I think once once you get shown, somebody shows you how you're supposed to do it, you you recognize it and then you return the favor. And I mean, so that's what we try to do. But Coach Walker is just he's unbelievable at it. So when you said that you had barely met him and he remembered all those things, he that is that is Jerry David Walker in a nutshell. He is an unbelievable human being and a servant leader. And there's just not enough superlatives to say about him. I think whenever I started coaching, uh, that was probably the biggest thing as, as a young coach that I craved was for, uh, and, it, and it was probably more from the places I was working at, but just in general, the, the one of the biggest things that I craved was somebody to, uh, to mentor me, to show me what, uh, what success looked like on and off the floor and, uh, and, and how to become really good at, at what we do because um, that hadn't always been modeled for me as a player. Uh, I yep. wasn't much of a player, as I've, as I've said on here many times, and I'll continue to say it because I wasn't. But um, I think that's one of the biggest things that I craved, especially early on and, and still to this day, is somebody who will – somebody who will tell me uh, things and mentor me in ways that, that, you know, from, from a lens of someone who has been there and done that. And so um, for you to say that, that coach Plunkett did that for you, uh, that brought that back, uh, you know, to my memory. Um, And, and I've had similar conversations with people when I was at an unwinnable situation, you know, people just being super, friendly and, and, and giving me positive, you know, encouragement as far as, Hey, you're doing a good job. It's just, it's just, you're, you're just 
somebody told me, a referee told me on the sidelines one time, he said, you're trying to bake a cake and the only ingredients that these kids have given you is the bowl. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> and I that's just started right. laughing. Sometimes, you know sometimes what? Right. that's just the way it goes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, coach, you, you've given me more than, uh, more than ample amount of time, but I, I just, I got to ask this. You've probably been asked this 50 times, uh, but I want to try to ask it in a different way. Uh, you know, you guys have had, an enormous amount of success at Fort Gibson. Um, and, and it's just gone on and on and on throughout generations now. Yeah. How do you sustain that going forward? How do you keep that from it being a weight on your players' shoulders? Um, and if you can just elaborate on that for me. Yeah, I think that's, we're, we're constantly trying to solve that riddle. I mean, it, it I think there's definitely something to it. Uh, you know, we don't, we really don't, uh, we take a, we take, there's a great deal of pride with the tradition at Fort Gibson, no doubt about it. And, you know, we do, um, we do talk about the, the tradition and, you know, and in terms of, you know, what the others have done before you, but we don't, we don't do it in terms of what their accomplishments were. We do it in, in terms of, you know, how hard they worked. You know, what were the characteristics that that team had that led them to, to be the team that they ultimately were? And, you know, we, talk, we constantly talk about leadership and uh, character, character traits. And the biggest thing at Fort Gibson is character. And, I, I mean, I cannot reiterate that enough. And you obviously have to have skill. You have to have all these components. But, I mean, I could show you a lot of programs who have talented players or they have skill. But the one thing I think that has been able to set Fort Gibson apart more than anything else is probably character. And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a for instance. Last year, we have a young lady that – played for Fort Gibson. It was her senior year and uh, she had went all the way through high school and never received any significant time until her senior year. And we tell our kids a lot of times, look, you know, because it's easy for kids now, if they're not getting playing time, I see it a lot of other schools. If they're not getting any playing time, they either transfer or they quit that sport or, you know, whatever. It is not uncommon for us to have seniors that have not garnered much playing time going into that senior year, but they still stick with the program. And so this young lady um, just modeled that character that we talk about over and over and over again. And so uh, matter of fact, I think we were playing you coach uh, the year, the first year that, uh, that I was coaching with the first year I was the head coach and, we played your team in the area tournament. I think at the end of the game, we had had put, I, I can't remember if it was your game or maybe Tecumseh, but it, but it was one of those games. She was one of the players out there on the floor and, you know, and she had had some turnovers along with some of the other kids. And we're just trying to give those kids some experience. So, you know, moving forward, maybe, maybe it'll help us down the road. And I remember my wife asking me, is that the group that you, that you think next year can go back to the state tournament? And she laughed and she thought, there's no way. 
but the one thing that people discount is how hard those kids are going to work. And so she dedicated herself and put herself in the gym constantly and uh, had a senior year that was unbelievable and ended up uh, hitting a game-winning three against Anadarko, um, another game-winning three in another game, uh, just had some unbelievable moments. And I remember just her and I, and I shared with her, I told her, I said, that's why what we do is so just so redeeming when I see kids like you work that hard for that long without a payoff. And then all of a sudden it all comes together. It's, it's, it's just unreal. And I, and to me, and she would have never done those things if she wouldn't have had the character traits that took her to that place. And so we always have that at Fort Gibson. And I, and then it's, again, it's always about team. It's everything is, team oriented. It's, it's, uh, you know, we play a lot of open man basketball at Fort Gibson. Um, and we count on everybody to come through and, you know, they all got, they all have a role. I just, you know, it's very tough to explain until you get there and you get to see it in, you know, kind of in progress day after day after day. And, and you mentioned it, you meant, you said something about the pressure there is a lot of pressure. You know, I had a parent the year after that, that first year that I was the head coach, he walked up to me after a game and he said, thank you, coach. Uh, I just, the last thing that I wanted was for my daughter to be on the first team at Fort Gibson, not to go to the state tournament in 18 years. And I didn't want the streak to end with my daughter. And I said, you know, really not all about that. And I walked off. And as I'm walking off, he grabs my arm and he says, coach, you don't understand. It really is all about that right now for these kids. And, uh, you know, because they're on pins and needles. I'll be honest. They, it's crazy. We, every kid we have on our team right now, there's not one girl that was alive the last time Fort Gibson was not at the state tournament, which is, it's crazy, stupid to me that it's that way. But, uh, Every year, you know, I think, well, it's going to go down. It's going to fall down. It's going to, you know, we're going to take a step back. And then over the summer, something happens and kids step up. And it's like, it's, you know, we start looking at each other again going, okay, here we go. This, you know, let's go for it. And, you know, we kind of believe in it, what we do. And uh, the kids obviously buy in. and, And when you have people around like Jerry Walker, too, that just as soon as he walks in a room, he commands respect. Uh, just by his presence alone, that helps a lot as well. So, um, you know, you ask how to sustain it. Again, I just think it's by the same things that you've done, your principles, and not riding the coattails of others. Um, I think you've got to get across to the kids that they have to make their own legacy. And they can't just because they have Fort Gibson on their chest is not, it's not going to happen. They have to make it happen. And if they want to be included in that conversation, then it's up to them and they have a way of stepping up and making it happen. So short, long answer to probably an easier question, but I, you know, I, I don't know an easier way to put it. No, that was perfect. I think, I think you, uh, 
you walked us through all uh, that it takes to um, to sustain that success and and for for each kid to kind of take that as uh, you know as kind of their um, responsibility to to work that much harder to continue it and so um, sure. all those things kind of pair up. Well, Coach, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. You did not have to do this. But uh, I just appreciate it and uh, look forward to the next time that we can speak. Absolutely, man. I, I want to tell you, I love what you're doing. I think it's really cool. Um, we have so many coaches in this state that are really, really good. And they, and they do it for all the right reasons. And, uh, you know, I, I, I don't think that high school coaches uh, get the credit they deserve. And I think there's a lot of coaches out there that, you know, are really, to be honest with you, maybe they're not fortunate fortunate enough to coach at a place that has a lot of tradition. You know, I'm very lucky. I'm very fortunate. But I understand that there's a lot of coaches out there that uh, they don't have, you know, they, they may have to take that first or second job where they're trying to, where they're trying to get it going. And, you know, and then you have their coaches that stay at the same school for year after year after year. And, uh, it's just incredible what they pour into their kids. So appreciate you and look forward to hearing some other coaches. Absolutely. Thank you so much, coach. Thank you again for listening to another episode of They Call Me Coach. Be on the lookout as we release a new episode every Tuesday. Please remember to like our They Call Me Coach podcast page on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Facebook for updates on new episodes.